Bibles this morning, we're going to be looking in the book of Joel. Joel. Now, I said that early, so you have time to find it during my opening remarks. The book of Joel is in the Old Testament. It's right after Hosea, and so uh, you can uh, look for that if you would. It's one of the minor prophets. And again, I just want to tell you what a blessing it is to see people here. As I was praying about what God would have me preach this morning and bring to you, I got to tell you, I've been thinking much and praying much for the health of our church. I hope you have too. Uh, <laughs> this year, I found it, uh, looking, thinking about this the other day, we chose the theme, uh, Found Faithful. One of my specific goals, in fact, the goal on top of the list of the theme Found Faithful was that I wanted to increase the church attendance of our church family. You know, we have some people that are faithful on Sunday morning. We have some that are faithful on Sunday morning and Sunday night. And then some, all three. I believe strongly it takes three to thrive. And I believe that there should be a, an involvement in the local church. And then there's some that come once a month. And whatever level folks are, I wanted to try to jump them maybe to the next level in their Christian life. And so we started to talk about it. We did messages on it. And we did lessons on it about uh, how important it is to up our faithfulness. Then I had to tell people not to come to church. Don't come anymore. Stay at home. Now, if I'd have thought in the beginning of the year that in the found faithful theme that uh, I'd have to tell people not to come to church, I don't know what I'd have done, but uh, that's, the, that's what life has brought our way. Uh, I mentioned in one devotional that I did in 1 Peter 5, 8, the Bible tells us, be sober, be vigilant. For your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. And this has been heavy on my heart because who does a lion attack when he is looking to devour an animal. I watch nature shows with my son uh, once in a while, and we watch these lions, and one of us is rooting for the animal, the other is rooting for the lion. You know how that goes, and you're watching nature shows. And, and so uh, we see the lion, but he always targets somebody that's uh, weaker or outside the pack, and they're always going after someone separated from the herd. Well, we've been separated from the herd, all of us. And it, 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 it has weighed heavy on my heart that, that this is a time when Satan's going to be at work. He's like that lion. And he's going to try to, uh, as we are separated from one another, try to attack and weaken our faith and uh, bring discouragement. Discouragement, resentment against others, bitterness, all these things can happen when we are separated from the body of Christ. And so that's one of the things that's concerned me and. And I don't think that we even realize the potential of the unrest that uh, resides if we are outside the church body in our life. And so I think maybe we've gotten a taste of it, haven't we? So I'm glad that we're here together partially again this morning. There are many more that would love to be here, but uh, for health reasons, they're being more careful, and that's just fine. Uh, we, uh, that's why we're still doing the, the online presence as well. But uh, I'm grateful to have some back together this morning. My text in Joel chapter 2, it's one of those situations where you can pull a present application out of the direct application. Joel, the prophet Joel, is not talking about a pandemic. He's not talking about COVID, I guess it would have been COVID-9 at that time, all right? He's not talking about a, a pandemic like that. But it gives us a wonderful truth that I want to look at this morning that might be an encouragement to us. If you would look with me at verse number 18 of Joel chapter 2, then will the Lord be jealous for His land and pity His people. Boy, don't you agree? We need a little bit of that. 
We need God to bless our land and have pity on His people. Yea, the Lord will answer and say unto His people, Behold, I will send you corn and wine and oil, and you shall be satisfied therewith, and I will no more make you a reproach among the heathen. But I will remove far off from you the northern army and will drive him into a land barren and desolate with his face toward the east sea and his hinder part toward the utmost sea and his stink shall come up and his ill savor shall come up because he hath done great things. Fear not, O land, be glad and rejoice for the Lord will do great things. Be not afraid, ye beasts of the field, for the pastures of the wilderness do spring for the tree beareth her fruit and the fig tree hath the vine do yield their strength. Be glad then, ye children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God, for he hath given you the former rain moderately. He will cause to come down for you to rain of the former rain, the latter rain in the first month. Look at what he says in verse number 25. And I will restore to you the years that the locusts have eaten, the canker worm, the caterpillar, the palmer worm, my great army which I sent among you. And ye shall eat in plenty and be satisfied and praise the name of your Lord, uh, the Lord your God that hath dealt wonderfully with you. And my people shall never be ashamed. Father, I pray this morning in the minutes that we have together that you'd bless the reading of your word. You'd help us to be encouraged from it this morning. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. We have here a real picture of humanity. And of course, if you read the whole chapter, you'll see some of the things that they were going through. One philosopher put it this way, man has two and a half minutes here on earth. One minute to smile, one minute to sigh, and a half of a minute to love, for in the midst of that minute, he dies. What a great and cynical way to look at life, isn't it? And yet, a life apart from God, this is quite accurate. We cannot stop the relentless march of time as it continues on. Men and women uh, many, many, maybe more women than men, but I don't know, but uh, we attempt to conceal the marks of time in our bodies sometimes uh, with plastic, plastic surgery, getting nips and tucks, uh, coloring hair, uh, trying to get a younger look, uh, trying to conceal the marks of time. It's a wonderful thing what some creams and powders will do a person, but it will not stop the march of time. You're going to continue to get older. Time will march on. And in all the time that we do have, there is sorrow, there is sadness, there is a coronavirus, there's problems that we have to face. In the wake of a trial like the one we've had, one we're still working through, we need restoration. The title of my message today is Restoration. And I will restore. The Bible says I love that word, restoration. Uh, thank God... He is a restorer. Uh, in our text, he says here, even if there are years of waste and destruction, he says, I can restore them. Now, the years that have passed cannot be returned to us again. I understand that. Time that is spent cannot literally be restored. Time, once it is passed, is gone forever. By the way, that's why the Bible tells us to redeem the time for the days are evil. We ought to be careful as the time passes and be wise with it. But understand here, the locust did not eat the years. The locust ate the fruit of the year's labor. And so God is telling us here the, this restoration is restoring the fruits of the harvest that the locust consumed. I like that thought. 
Because when I look back at what I feel, I don't know about you, but I feel it's been the longest six and a half weeks of my life. Being apart from my family, being apart from folks that I love and only being able to talk to them over the phone. And out of these six weeks of what I would label loss, I want restoration. I want God to restore that. We cannot have back the time. But there's a wonderful way in which God can give back to you the missed blessings of your life. The fruits of a barren time can be realized still. God could give back as if the locusts had never come in the first place. He says, I will restore to you the years that the locusts have taken. God did not say that time once passed into eternity could return. What He's in essence saying here, the blessings of coming years can be a recompense for lost labor in the past. I don't know about you, but for me, that's really good news. That God can restore. I, for one, am trusting that this is exactly what He will do uh, in this uh, church going forward. We must, we absolutely must as a church family, as individuals, as families, we must have the mercy and grace of God uh, on us as we, you could say, reboot our church. Amen. And I hope it's faster than Microsoft. Amen. Uh, the locust. Look at the locust. He mentions the locust, the cankerworm, the caterpillar, and the palmer worm. These are all forms of the same thing. In fact, the Hebrew language has nine words that translate into the word locust. And so each one of these, the locust is talking about the canker worm is a young locust in early stage of development. The caterpillar, it, the original word for the word translated caterpillar is one of the words meaning locust. And then the palmer worm, the original word uh, is also a word that's translated to locust. Uh, Webster calls the palmer worm a caterpillar that appears in great numbers devouring herbage. If you look at the beginning of the book of Joel, you'll find these named as God's judgment. And locusts are an appropriate symbol for judgment. One swarm of locusts in 1899 that crossed the Red Sea was estimated to cover 2,000 square miles. Can you imagine that? A swarm of locusts covering 2,000 square miles. They bring great destruction. Locusts were and are a great menace. They are a destroyer. When a locust in his, is in its early stage of life, it's less mobile, and so they try to take care of it during that time. Uh, but as they grow, they start to band together, and they have an awesome ability to destroy. In that, locusts are a lot like sin. When dealing with particular sins, sometimes they seem quite harmless at first. Not a big deal. Easy to control. You may feel that you have a, that particular sin under control. I think of the sin of drunkenness. Uh, how the, uh, you, and, and we've all probably seen it in relatives or friends, how a person seems to be in charge of that habit at first until that habit, drunkenness, takes a firm hold on that person's life and it masters him. Then he can't get free of it. Then he's a slave to sin. And eventually it destroys him. Proverbs chapter 5, verse 22, the Bible says, His own iniquities shall take the wicked himself. He shall be holden with the cord of his sins. Oh, they weren't cords in the beginning. They were palmer worms. They were easy to control. But now they have taken 
uh, and destroyed him and taken control. The same is true for those taken in the sin of gambling, drug abuse, pornography. Even, you could even add stealing, lying, gossiping, all these different sins that we're guilty of. All of them start sometimes very small. They may seem harmless at first, but before you know what's happening, they can take control of a life. And they move from being a palmer worm to a locust. How many times do we find a man or a woman whose home, whose health, whose character is destroyed? Because of sin. I read a story. The builder of the Tombs Prison in New York City. Soon after he built, he was a contractor that built the, the prison. Soon after he was, uh, had finished the completion of the building of that prison, he was found guilty of forgery. He was sentenced to spend several years in the prison he had built. And so as he is escorted into a cell, He makes this comment, I never dreamed when I built this prison, I'd be an inmate one day. Oh boy, that's a great picture of sin, isn't it? Sin will overcome you. It'll make a prisoner out of you uh, unless you let God step into your life. There are many today uh, that might listen to a statement like that and say, oh, I'm, I'm good. I don't let any of those vices into my life but they're being destroyed by the locus of pride and self-righteousness. These are powerful weapons in the armory of the devil for the destruction of men. In fact, I believe probably the most destructive sin in all of humanity is pride. It was pride that took Lucifer down. It was pride that uh, is really at the root of all of our sins. It's just as bad as drunkenness and debauchery. Like the Pharisee in the temple in Luke chapter 18, Jesus said of that Pharisee, those that trust in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. In other words, thinking themselves better than someone else. How many people today are living their life expecting to go to heaven one day because they're trusting in their own good works? They're trusting in their own lifestyle. I don't know how many people I've talked to uh, they, and by the way, Joe Q. Public is not out there shaking his fist at God, not wanting to have anything to do with God. They think they're fine because they're trusting their own righteousness. And so the Bible tells us, though, that we are all born in sin. We're shapen in iniquity. And sin is a destroyer. Sin, the Bible says, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Romans chapter 6, verse 23, for the wages of sin is death. We earn our death because of our sin. I love the rest of that verse, though. Don't ever say the first part without the second part, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, we earn our death by our sin, but we cannot earn heaven with our righteousness because we really have no righteousness. Romans chapter 3, verse 21, the Bible says, There is none righteous, no, not one. All of us are sinners. The only remedy is Christ's sacrifice on the cross. But I want you to know, too, that sin can be a destroyer in the life of a Christian. Now I know that once you're saved, you are eternally sealed. The Bible says that when we're in God's hand, no man shall remove them out of my hand. I love the fact that the Bible talks over and over about eternal life. Uh, He that hath the Son hath, present tense, eternal life. Uh, Eternal life is either eternal life or it's not eternal life. Amen? And we have that when we accept Christ as our Savior. Uh, But sin can wreak havoc in your life if you allow it to. See some examples in Scripture. Those that are God's people, yet because of sin, chaos was in their home, a part of their family, their own life. I think of Lot, who made a choice 
uh, early in his life of pitching his tent towards Sodom. He didn't get involved in the sin. He didn't get involved with the sinner. He just pitched his tent toward it. And of a night, he would sit outside in his lawn chair drinking his uh, Starbucks coffee and watching out and seeing what was going on in Sodom. Not long after that, we see him in the city, and then we see him in the gate of the city. He became part of the city council, the leadership of that wicked city. Uh, we see Lot making choices that lead him down the wrong path. The Bible says in Second Peter that he was vexed to his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. He was a child of God, and he shouldn't have been there in the first place. The Bible calls him a just man, and God delivered him. But even after he was delivered, we find him in a cave, drunken by his two daughters, and then bearing their, or they were bearing his children. The depravity of sin. There's not a sin that you or I as a Christian are above committing. We better learn that. We're all susceptible. Uh, beware, uh, lest he think, uh, as you stand, you th- uh, before you fall, I can't remember that verse. I think you know what I'm talking about. Take heed. You think you're standing and you will fall. Pride goeth before a fall, before destruction. Sin, we better not play around with it when it's a palmer worm. It'll become a locust in our life, a swarm of locusts. Just because you're saved, we are not immune to the sins of other men. The devil is on your trail, friend, if you're a believer. He would love to ruin your testimony. Uh, the locust that he has and can come into our lives, if we're not careful, there will destroy our peace of mind. They'll wreck your joy as a believer. Listen, this happened to David. David, one uh, night he's walking out on the roof of his house and he's uh, just enjoying the cool air. And by the way, he was a man after God's own heart. He was God's chosen man for that hour. Yet one act of foolishness on one occasion, on one night, and when he should have been on the battlefield, but he was home, committed adultery with Bathsheba. As a result, his family was devastated. The kingdom of Israel was devastated. He paid for it the rest of his days in his own family. Oh yes, God forgave the sin. And yes, God will forgive you too, but the consequences of that sin can be lifelong. As one person said, you can choose your sin, but you cannot choose the consequence. Oh, we did not let sin come into our life and destroy, uh, come in as a palmer worm and destroy as a locust. Sin can leave scars in your life that are there for the rest of your life. So the locusts, we know, can bring destruction. They can also bring darkness. In the Bible, in Exodus chapter 10, we find the eighth plague in Egypt was a swarm of locusts. Not only did they destroy everything in their path, they blocked out, the Bible says, the light of the sun. And that's a remarkable thing. That would take a lot of locusts. A beautiful sunny day out today. Can you imagine how many locusts it would take to block out the light of the sun? The Bible says in Exodus 10, 14, a locust went over all the land of Egypt. Rested in all the coasts of Egypt, very grievous were they, for they covered the face of the whole earth so that the land was darkened. The locusts brought darkness. How did locusts bring darkness? The locusts brought darkness by blocking out the light. It's that simple. Locusts not only brought destruction, they brought darkness. Did you know that in the Bible the Word of God is compared to light? Thy Word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. What would block out that light in your life? Well, we get right back to the sin problem. 
It happens in the lives of many unsaved men. Uh, they they uh, allow their sin really blocks out the light of the gospel in their life. This again has been one of my concerns as we are somewhat separated. I know that we make phone calls and we connect in different ways, but as we are separated, it's been one of my concerns as a pastor. Are you as close to God today as you were two months ago? Are you drawing nigh to Him in your life? Are you as close to your brothers and sisters in Christ as you were two months ago? It's a tough thing when we do not see each other. You know what Satan does? Satan starts to whisper in our ears. He starts to uh, build things up in our minds about other people, about uh, the Lord. You know, that's what he did with Eve. He convinced Eve that God did not have their good in mind. God doesn't want you to experience good things. He's keeping this from you because He doesn't want you. He knows that good things will come into your life, so He's keeping these things from you. And, and so He's building that up, and Satan does this to each and every one of us if we're not careful. He'll build resentment. Proverbs 4.23, Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Sin blocks out the light of the gospel truth, uh, just like the locusts in Egypt blocked out daylight. Sin keeps men in darkness and stops them from receiving the truth. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 4.4, In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of men which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ which is in the image of God, should shine unto them. For those who die without Christ, the locusts of sin can lead them into eternal darkness. Again, I know we're kind of jumping back and forth because it works that way in the, in the life of lost men, but it works this way in the life of a Christian as well. Uh, if we allow sin and, and the locusts of sin into our life, then it allows the truth of the Word of God to take a back seat to negative emotions in our life. But not only is there a serious threat that the Lord identifies in this text, if you've got your Bibles open to Joel still, go to chapter 1 and verse number 4. And we see four species of locusts here rather than four different insects, like I mentioned earlier. Look at verse number 4. That which the palmer worm hath left, the locust eaten. And that which the locust hath left, hath the canker worm eaten. That which the canker worm hath left, at the caterpillar eaten. We're talking here about a gnawing locust, a swarming locust, a licking locust, and a consuming locust. Different stages in a locust's life. We're talking again about complete destruction. They ate until there was nothing left. If there was a little bit left, another one came along and swooped it up. It's complete, complete destruction. A swarm of locusts can reduce the crops of a country to nothing. The idea here is that this is something that had taken place year after year in Israel. And maybe I'm talking to someone today who's experienced this kind of thing even in your life. Wasted time. The tragedy of locust-eaten years. Goes beyond a few weeks like we've just had to go through uh, as a collective group. Goes beyond uh, even weeks or days. It feels, maybe you feel the loss of Years of your life wasted. Years of your life that if you added up all the spiritual benefit in them, you'd come up with a big fat zero. You have to basically look at them and realize wasted time. Perhaps the locusts of sin have done a work in your life. Consider the extent of the 
devastation caused here. Joel chapter 2, verse 3, A fire devoureth before them, and behind them a flame burneth the land as the garden of Eden before them, and behind them a desolate wilderness, yea, and nothing shall escape them. Sin will devastate your entire spiritual life. Maybe I'm talking to a Christian today, either here or over the air. It's been a time of backsliding. Distancing from the church translates often to distancing from the Lord Himself. You're not reading your Bible the way that you should or that we did before. You don't pray to the Lord and pray as you once did. Your devotional life has been suffering. Fellowship with God's people uh, or getting away from the fellowship of God's people like we've kind of had to can uh, translate to negative feelings toward them. The Bible shows us over and over the devastating effects of sin but then it shows us restoration. I think of Peter. Peter was a believer. He loved the Lord Jesus Christ with all his heart. He told Jesus that I'll die with you. When Jesus said, I'm going to go and these things are going to happen and you're all going to forsake me, Peter said, no, no, Jesus, I'll never forsake you. I'll go to the death with you, Jesus. In fact, he was so full of his own pride, I, you could call it pride, but he was just sure of himself. He was so sure that he looked at all his friends and he said, every one of these jokers, they might leave you, but I'll never leave you, Jesus. What did Jesus look back at him and said, that rooster's going to crow. Before he crows twice, you're going to deny me three times. Oh, no way. There's no way I'll ever deny you, Jesus. He did. Denied him three times. Not only did he deny him, he cursed him to prove that he wasn't a follower. He had in pride claimed that he would do what every other disciple would not do, and that is stick with Jesus. Proverbs 16, 18, pride goeth before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. The locusts of sin can devastate a Christian's life. Of course, Peter repented. You know that. He went out, the Bible says, and he wept bitterly. I can't imagine, not only is Jesus arrested, not only is he headed for the cross, but at the time of his greatest need, me, kind of the leader of the disciples, I denied him three times. And not only that, that's not the worst of it. He told me I would deny, and he knew I would do it, and that's not even the worst of it. I told him I wouldn't. And so it just got worse and worse in Peter's life. And he wept bitterly. We can imagine the devastation in his own spirit. Then in Mark 16, 7, after Christ rose from the dead, this is what the angel said. But go your way, Tell the disciples, you know what the next two words are? And Peter. Isn't that a blessing? Specific, not and John. Don't tell the disciples and John. Don't tell the disciples and Andrew. Tell the disciples and Peter. Hey, while you're giving the good news, make sure you talk to the one who's the most discouraged. Make sure to talk to the one who's living the lowest in his life right now. Encourage Peter because even though he failed, even though the locust came and consumed him, I'm going to restore to Peter what he once had. And then Peter, this one who denied Jesus three times, he messed up, but God restored him and he allowed this God denier to, to uh, preach to a large group of people in Acts chapter 2. 3,000 people walked the aisle got saved and joined the church. What a blessing. Look, I'm determined today not to focus on past failures. Do I feel like the locusts have stole some time from the Bible Baptist Church in March 
in April, I sure do. But I want to focus on moving forward. Because guess what? We serve a God who can restore that. He can restore it. We don't have to focus on that. Our yesterday needs never define our tomorrow. We're going to move forward. Think of how it was when you were first saved. Full of excitement. Going to set the world on fire for God. And over time, that sometimes wanes. We can lose years in our life because of the locus of sin. Circumstances come. They seem to rob you of your fruit of your life and your, the fruit of your joy. And, I, and that's what we just went through, circumstance. It's not something any of us can control. None of us decided on this. This isn't because of a choice we've made in our personal lives. This is just a circumstance we've had to live through. So we can allow it to rob us or we can look forward and realize that God can restore that. Sow to yourselves in righteousness. Reap in mercy. Break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord till He come and rain righteousness upon you. Hosea 10.12. Good stuff. Look at the opportunity here in our text. I will restore to you the years that the locusts have eaten. See, this is what the Lord is saying to His people in Joel chapter 2. Look, there has been waste. There has been all those years that are of harvest that are eaten up by locusts, but I can give you a harvest so bountiful that it will return the harvest that were eaten by the locusts in previous years. I'll restore it. I love restoration. Amen? I love the restoration of a relationship. Have you ever had a falling out with somebody? Both sides feel bad. There's guilt and bad feelings on both sides. And then restored. Whew, it's sweet, isn't it? Restoration's sweet. God can restore. There's, uh, our future is in the hands of the Lord. Let me show you another great verse. And you can turn there if you like, but I'll read it to you. Amos chapter 9, verse 13. Again, an agricultural analogy is used here. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that the plowman shall overtake the reaper, and the tre treader of grapes him that soweth seed, and the mountains shall drop sweet wine, and the hills shall melt. What does this mean? The plowman shall overtake the reaper. means that there's such an incredible harvest that the man is still out reaping it when it's time to plow again for the next one. That's a great harvest. The plowman is waiting to plow up the soil to sow the seeds for the next harvest. And the reaper is still out there uh, getting the bounty of the previous harvest. This is a promise of restoration. I will restore to you the years that the locusts have eaten. Look again at verse number 24. And the floor shall be full of wheat, and the fat shall overflow with wine and oil. Those wasted years are going to be given back to Israel. Listen, only God can do that. Only God can restore these things. Only God can do that for the sinner. Only God can do that for the backslidden believer. Only God can do that for you. Restore. Ah, I like restoration, don't you? Love it. Love restoration. What a merciful God we have. He can make your life a great life. He can make your life a life of fruitfulness. A life of great blessing and benefit to others. I think of Joseph. I think, uh, remember Joseph in the Old Testament? He uh, went through a really tough time. He was sold into slavery by his brothers. I mean, I had some bad brothers. Thankfully, I was the oldest and could keep them in line. But I don't think I had brothers that would have sold me into slavery. 
Joseph's brother, sold him into slavery and then told dad he was dead, dipped his coat in blood to show him. And Joseph is off the scene. Now he goes as a slave and then he's falsely accused and thrown in prison and forgotten about, meets some uh, important people from the palace and has a glimmer of hope and then he tells him, don't, don't forget me when you get back to the palace, but they did. And so he's left down there to rot in jail. Years he spends as a slave and as a prisoner. And then one day, you know the story, he wakes up a prisoner and he goes to bed, the second most powerful man in the world. But I like what we find in Genesis chapter 48. The Bible talks about Joseph having two kids. He has two boys. He names the first one Manasseh, and he names the second one Ephraim. Ephraim means fruitful. And Joseph wanted to be, hey, we all want to be fruitful, amen? We all want to have a kid named Ephraim. We all want to be successful. Joseph said, I want to be successful. I'm going to be fruitful. I'm going to have a boy, and he named him Ephraim. Names meant a lot in the Old Testament, more than they do so today. I'm going to name him Ephraim. But first he had to name an older son, the son that came first. He named Manasseh. That means forgetfulness or to forget. Because to be fruitful, Joseph had to overcome a few things. He had to forget a few things. He had to allow, you see, Joseph could have been bitter. I've often thought, can you imagine when Joseph's promoted from prisoner? There's nothing in the Bible about it. This just comes out of my head. But it is inevitable that Joseph multiple times ran into Mrs. Potiphar. Imagine how that meeting would go. They're walking down the hallway. Here's Joseph, the second most powerful. All Joseph would have said, point somebody out, off with his head. Off with her head. And, and it would have to be done. He was the most powerful man in you. Here comes Miss Potiphar, the one who had falsely accused him and thrown him in prison for years. Can you imagine her nervousness? But Joseph didn't get bitter. He didn't get angry. He forgot. He allowed God to take it out of his life. You know what? I want to be fruitful, so I'm just going to forget those things that happened. I'm not going to remember them anymore. I'm not going to allow the failures of my life to destroy the fruitfulness in my life. I'm not going to allow things that people did against me all those horrible things that were done against me, I can sit here and I can stew and I can talk to others. I can talk about how it's not fair and that person did this and that person said that and this is unfair and that's unfair. I can get bitter and angry or I can say I'll forget it and I'll move forward and I'll be fruitful. God restored this to Joseph and he was fruitful. You say, I, you don't know about all the years and the time that I've wasted and I don't, but the Lord knows. And the same Lord who knows all about wasted time and wasted years is the one who says, I can restore the years that the locusts have eaten. Woohoo, that's good stuff. The question is, are you willing to let him work through you to accomplish it? Dear friend, if you're not a Christian today, if you don't know that you know where your eternity lies, come to Christ today. Don't waste any more time. We don't have to sit around and moan and wallow in the failures of the past. We can start afresh today. Think about the endurance of this devastation on Israel. The Lord did not say, I'll restore to you the months. He did not say, I'll restore to you the days. He said, I'll restore to you the years. There's a hymn that says, and we've sang it, Oh, I've wasted many precious years. Now I'm coming home. And if you do, God can restore those years. It's, it's possible for us to waste and don't, I'm not saying it's good, it's not. You, you'll pay eternity for it, but uh, we, we can waste years, we can waste decades in our life.
But it's never too late to come to the Lord and have Him take you back. He waits for you. Maybe you're under the sound of my voice and you've been resisting God's will all your life. What a tragedy to grow old and have to reflect back on a wasted life. You know what a wasted life is? Nothing more than wasted days. Don't waste any more time. Let God restore to you the days that are lost. The years, he said. So here we are, Bible Baptist Church, meeting together the first time in a long time, it seems like. And we can bemoan, we can complain about what we have lost. And, and I'm afraid, as, you know, just be brutally honest with you, there's nobody here but us, so I can be honest. We may lose some. Some people might fall by the wayside. Satan might get some of his victims. But you know what we're going to do as a church? We're going to move forward. We're going to allow God to restore the lost years. Amen? And he can do that. He can do that in your life. Let him restore. I find this a wonderful, wonderful promise because there's nothing sweeter than restoration. I will restore to you the years that the locusts have eaten. I'm with the pianist. If you'll close, uh, bow your heads, close your eyes. We have not been able to have an altar call for quite a time. We've done this uh, just uh, done over the air.